Hello everyone, this is Nolan with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to say thanks to all of our awesome patrons. If you like our show and want to support us, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash the Forge Herald. Thanks everyone, hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. My name is Patrick and I am your host, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts. I'm Nolan. And I'm Cody. And we are also joined by a special guest today, our friend Travis. Travis, say hello. Hello, thank you for having me. I, uh, as always, it is a pleasure to be here. Indeed, and we're going to be talking to Travis about Scarred Lands, which is always our favorite topic when Travis is here, but Travis also was a writer on Legend Lore, which is on Kickstarter right now, so we'll be talking to him about that as well. So it's always a pleasure to have you here, my friend. Thank you, yeah, I appreciate you having me, and I'm looking forward to it. There's lots of ground to cover today. Well, then let's just dive into it. So let's kick it off with some 307 RPG news. Not a whole lot new for us here, or yeah, news-wise. Um, I did want to mention that I was checking on Anchor the other day, and we have gained just a ton of listeners from throughout the world lately. And I just want to welcome everybody to, to our show, say thank you for li- listening. And if you have a spare moment, please take a moment to go over to iTunes, if that's where you're listening, and drop us a review. It always helps move us up in the whole podcast ranking thing. So that would be fantastic. But either way, even if you don't, thank you so much for being here. It's it's so cool to see so many different countries tuning in to listen to the three of us. Also, typically when we talk about different books on our show, they can be purchased through by clicking the link uh, for drive through RPG at the top of the show notes. That is our affiliate link. When you do that, we get a small percentage, which we use to help buy books to talk about on the show. So if you want to help us out, that is one way you can do it just by purchasing a great book for you, possibly by uh, something that Travis wrote. You could. That would be awesome. Yeah. See, help us both at the same time. <laughs> uh, and of course, if you would like to support us, you, uh, otherwise, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash a Forge Herald. Your one, two, three, or even $5 donation helps us to upgrade our equipment so we can continue to put out a quality show. Things like microphone arms that both Cody and I have benefited from and Nolan will be getting his next month. So we're really excited about that. Thank you guys so much. Yes. Thank you a lot. Let's kick off. Let's head over to uh, Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons. I don't see anything new for D&D right now. No new UAs, no new books. Of course, Wild Mountain comes out on the 17th. I don't know about you guys. I think this is going to be a hot book. So yeah, Critical Role has uh, done so much for getting new people into it. I can't see them doing poorly with it, and it's nice to see them get some support. Uh, I know they get tons of it already, but having a big book for more people to jump in and play uh, is always exciting. For sure. I echo Nolan. I would say if you haven't pre-ordered this book, you might want to go talk to your local game store because what the 17th is this week, right? It's Tuesday. Yeah. So if you haven't ordered this book or you may want to go talk to your local game store right away and see if it's too late to get yourself a copy. Of course, they have that alternate art cover as well as the regular one. Again, I think this is going to be a hot book, so might be a good thing to go get it now. I did notice on Dragon Plus Magazine, which is the digital magazine for Wizards of the Coast, they have an interview with Matt Mercer where he talks all about Wildmont. I haven't read that yet, but I would imagine, knowing Mr. Mercer, it is worth checking out. Have either of you read that? I have not yet. I started, but I didn't get to finish it. Yeah, Matt is always so in-depth when it comes to his world building. So, yeah. I'd be curious to see how that... 
what that article is like. I'll have to give that a read a little bit later. Okay, let's uh, take a walk down the Onyx path. Of course, the big thing with Onyx path right now is Legend Lore. Hey, Travis, why don't you tell us about that? So Legend Lore is a role-playing game using the 5th edition rules uh, based on the OGL. And it's set in the uh, universe of the Legend Lore comic book that was published by Caliber Comics. And the premise is that there is this fantasy land uh the realm where which is connected to various other worlds uh one of those being our world and when you begin your legend lore campaign you being the player are drawn into the realm and so it is based on the premise of you know it's kind of the hey kids look over there it's a dungeons and dragons ride um, you know, it's, it's very much like the, along the lines of like the D and D cartoon or, you know, various other sort of stories where, uh, someone from the real world gets pulled into this fantasy land. And there are a number of different ways you can tackle that. You get to sort of, there's some guidelines in there about, about building, you know, yourself in you know, sort of like this idealized way, right? So the way you see yourself in the fantasy world. And there's also like the, you can build like the alternate you where, you know, say the for some people, the idea of suddenly being whisked away to another world isn't exactly as fun as it might sound, right? <laughs> Particularly when you have people that you're leaving behind and things you're leaving behind. So there are some guidelines for building like an alternate you, you know, this is me except this thing never happened or I did this thing when I was a kid or this thing is different about my life. And so and it's designed very much to be as sort of inclusive as possible and to kind of address right in the character creation, you know, various different situations that, that people might be experiencing, you know, you can, uh, you know, you can choose the body you want to have, uh, for example, you know, things along those lines. So it's, it's really, I think it, that Steffi Van, the, the developer did a really good job of, of building, of taking that premise and spending it in the most positive and affirming fashion possible which is very exciting and the world itself is just super cool it's it's kind of this high fantasy there is a section of the realm that deals with like alchemy and and super science but it functions on slightly different parameters than than the real world so uh, certain things function a bit differently. Things like gunpowder work a little differently and require a, a, a different set of knowledge to address, which is a lot of fun. I don't know how much I'm really allowed to get into in terms of the, the nitty-gritty, the, the technical details, because a lot of that stuff's not yet been rolled out in the Kickstarter. But I got to work... When I was working on it, I got to work on uh, some of the system stuff. So I got to work on not only the magic system which was super fun there's a very established in the comics there's this very deep lore about how magic functions and the costs of using magic and so i got to build some of that in there um which was really neat uh it was it was a it was fun but it was also a really cool design exercise 
in how to take uh, fifth edition magic, which is um, pretty permissive, right? There's there's like a lot of ways to get to it in fifth edition, and it does a lot of things, and sort of build this system uh, into it to bring a real cost to spellcasting. That was a lot of fun, actually. And then I also got to work a little bit on some of the alchemical science stuff in a roundabout way. We talked a little bit about Legend Lore last week, and Cody had mentioned that you can get the graphic novels off of uh, Amazon. And I went ahead and picked up a couple. I started reading it last night just just quickly because I'm reading a different book and Well, I often read two, three books at a time, but whatever. Um, And I thought it was kind of, you know, you have these these four kids, these two guys, two girls um, who their artwork is actually on the Kickstarter. You guys can see these these characters who go to a cabin and they find a chest and they strike the chest and all of a sudden it teleports them to this fantasy world. And like the main jock suddenly is a barbarian like his muscles swell and he picks up a sword and he knows how to use it and it was just really interesting to see how they kind of all of a sudden become these fantasy heroes right yeah you very much sort of step into that role and so as you're creating the character um you know mechanically at the the table you know you're you're ultimately building a first level fifth edition character which um you know most of us aren't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you you get you whatever whatever sort of roles you assume, um, you you step into those roles fully. And one of the places it doesn't touch on it in the comic, but um, one of the things that we've brought into the game is you can also wind up in, in, in as a member of a different fantasy folk. So like you can wind up uh, becoming an elf as you step through becoming an orc as you step through things along those lines so yeah and i that's think a, for them stay human if i'm not mistaken that is correct yes but they do uh one of them well two of them wind up with uh access to magic one way or the other three of them wind up with access to magic i believe actually now that i think okay. about it ultimately um <laughs> yeah but, I, I mean yeah. I only, like i said i only read like the first three or four pages and immediately i thought Okay, this is it. Very much reminded me of the D and D cartoon. Yeah, very much. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, very similar vein. Just kind of like you know, you you interact with a thing. That thing opens this portal, and then you're thrown in, you know, just head first into this fantasy world, and the the game is set up. And they talk about it a bit in the comics as well, uh, that this is not a unique occurrence. It's not necessarily, I guess, what I would call common, but it's not, uh, you know, it doesn't happen every day, but it happens frequently enough that there are people in the realm that are aware of it. You know, you're, you, you, people will recognize that you have you're a visitor you're from somewhere else which is i think a neat sort of uh way to establish because you also bring certain things with you uh generally whatever you have on your person when you go through comes with you you know things like that so it's it's a it's a very cool take on that core premise that i think i think a lot of people i know my myself and my friends 
did when I was like in high school. A lot of people will uh, periodically, you know, oh, let's draw ourselves up in this in in this game or that game, you know, because it'll be fun. It takes that to a whole another level and creates it in a takes that premise to a, to a place where it can be an ongoing campaign so just like a one-off you know what the heck this will be fun kind of thing so it's 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 very exciting i would say i think that helps a lot for two aspects i see two sides of it that are really fun of like say getting my wife into it who's not very uh well you want me to play you know a halfling or you can't see that so this here we're going to make you and then you can kind of introduce rules as you go I think that's kind of a neat way to maybe bring in some new people to it. Um, it's just kind of a, a fun way for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it'll be very good for uh, people. You know, there's one person or two people that, that are really into role playing and they have a group of friends that maybe aren't. I think that'd be a good introduction for them. You know, for people who are, who have liked, fantasy for people you mentioned critical role earlier people who've done a lot of watching of of actual plays but not gotten into it yet i think it's a really cool kind of starter setting for that because you do have that sort of there's a mechanical reason why your character knows more than you or can do more than you uh like you don't know your full capabilities until you start using them um, so that's neat. You can sort of introduce the system that way. I think it's a, I think it's, uh, just all around a very, very smart way to tackle it. And like, for example, while the legend lore game does not exist in the world and the realm comics do not exist in the world, Dungeons and Dragons does. Oh, so, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, so you would bring your knowledge of D and D with you. Now, does that mean you immediately recognize everything? No, because the world's a little different. But you immediately have a frame of reference. So I think, as I say, I think that gives you offer uh, opportunity to add NPCs too. Like, oh, oh, you want to? Okay, come here. Let me show you the ropes, and they can kind of help you a little bit. You know, the wizened adventurer that's like, yeah, no, I just chose never to go home. Let me give you a couple of tips, and you can kind of throw them some bones if they're struggling. Yeah, and in the comic yeah, book, absolutely. the character Silverfawn kind of does that. Yeah, to a degree, yes. Um, and, and they, they can, yeah. There's, there's just a lot of ways that you can run into people who chose to never go home or never found a way home. Um, you know, you can run into places uh, where, you know, other heroes who have come from your world uh, have achieved this sort of legendary status. Um, and each character has a legend that they are ultimately in. Pursuit maybe isn't the right word, but they're ultimately on the track of. And so you get to choose that kind of as you step over as well. So, you know, you want to be, um, you know, the the light bringer who will, uh, you know, illuminate all the darkness throughout the continent. You know, that's the legend you're building. And so it starts to give you kind of a, a guideline as to where your actions might go and the choices you might make to try to fulfill that legend. So it's it's very it's very neat. Um, there's a lot of cool sort of subsystems and and uh, just subplots to pursue through that. Travis, I seem to remember the last time you were on this show, you mentioned that I want to say you were going to midwinter and you were going to be running Legend Lore games. 
Yes. How uh, did that? What, what was, was the reception? Yeah, I, I can't remember if it was Midwinter or a different was, one. I think it was PAX. I think I just ran Skylands at Midwinter. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was on my way to Acon to run some Legend Lore. Um, I ran it at PAXU, and one of the first backers on the Kickstarter uh, commented that they were in the game I ran. So that's I guess it went, awesome. Guess it went pretty well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so they, that's they, fantastic. They really liked it. They had uh, they had the buy-in. That's the that's the thing that um, you know. All games, any any role-playing game you're going to play requires uh, the people who are playing it to buy into the premise. And everybody that sat down at that demo table was super excited uh, for the opportunity and super excited at the premise. And that, uh, yeah, it was a great time. Uh, people really dug it. We had, uh, it's it's a very challenging game to run at a convention because you need pre-gen characters and you have no idea who's going to be sitting at the table, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the way I tackled that, um, and this may be something that new parties would want to do as well, particularly, uh, you know, if you're going to, like, introduce your friends to it, right, is I had just a stack of pre-generated characters, and I handed them out and said, you know, there's duplicates in here, triplicates in here, doesn't matter. If you take the same thing, just pick the one that you feel the most connection with. Pick the one that you feel is the most like you, quote-unquote and uh run with it and that worked out really well actually because it also wound up with a lot of you know the, the the player would look at the sheet and be like well what does this do and i'd say well you feel like you maybe have this capability to do x y and z you're not sure exactly how it'll work out but you think that it might function this way and and so it was kind of a a, a way to narrate that learning as you go sort of vibe and that like feeling that you have a capability that's just beyond your understanding. You know what I mean? Like that instinctual kind of knowledge, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it played out very well at the table. You mentioned buy-in and Nolan mentioned ease to play earlier. And I just had to mention that I think legend lore does a really good job of kind of bringing together something that's kind of seemed to have been bigger lately where we've seen this, uh, you know, we mentioned in the last episode, the, kind of the influx of lit RPG books, the animes that have been doing this very similar thing. And then it came to me as we were talking that even Jumanji, the Jumanji movies really kind of could give that person that doesn't know this game, maybe an idea of what they're stepping into. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely got that sort of Jumanji vibe and the, the, yeah, there's so many touchstones and, and I'm, not as familiar with some of those subgenres as other folk might be, but you know the big ones: the Jumanji, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoons, Narnia. <laughs> you know all Narnia, of those. Another good one, yeah, Narnia yeah. for sure. Yeah, all of those are good good reference points for people who maybe don't quite get their head around the premise. So Legend Lore is on Kickstarter now. It's got about 28 days left. I know that we went ahead and backed it here at 307 RPG. I think it looks like a fascinating game. And like Nolan said, I think it's going to be a great way to introduce new people to role-playing. So we, I went ahead and got it. Um, I do think it's something that other people should check out. Uh, so there is a link in the show notes. It's 
I think it's going to be well worth it. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to play. Agreed. And yeah, I would definitely, I would love to hear people's thoughts on it. Um, I'm particularly excited. They have not shared it yet, but if you back, I think at the $5 level or more, you get access to the, the manuscript as it goes out. And there's pieces of it that have gone out so far, but classes I think are coming out like Monday or Tuesday. And oh, I'm very, cool. very excited to, to hear what people think about the, uh, sorcerer and the gunslinger particularly because um, I had I had some hands in those I will say I was going to say yeah they had some uh, class previews out yesterday and uh, gunslinger was on there yeah exciting stuff I'm uh, very excited to see how that how that uh, turns out because it was it was a uh, fun design challenge uh, let me tell you to try to uh, create a gunslinger that felt specific to what was to what was called for in the realm, but also uh, different enough than some of the more popular gunslingers that you might have seen for fifth edition that may or may not have been designed by you know like Matt Mercer. <laughs> so it's exactly yeah. well, especially if you have characters that are coming into it of knowing exactly what it is. Where so often in games, it's like, oh, this is new technology, and where are you getting the stuff? And like, you would grab me like, well, this is a classic, you know? Like, what are we doing? Right. Yeah, and so and so tweaking that out, and then working the slight differences in the way physics work in the world, and play, letting that, making sure that that becomes apparent at the table. You know, stuff like that. that that's the stuff that's, um, that to me is an exciting design challenge. And I, I think will make for an exciting play experience as well. It looks pretty cool. I, I, just the previews and stuff, it, it looks really fun. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I, I really, uh, really want to see it go as far as it can. So definitely, if you have not checked it out, head over to Kickstarter and grab it. Yep. And like I said, a link is in the show notes. And looking over the Onyx Path Monday meeting notes, there's just not a whole lot besides Legend Lore that's going on right now. Of course, we had uh, GM's Day sale, which was cool. There's a lot of really great books put on sale that day. Um, and then there's a lot of some momentum in some of the other projects that have been working on. I'm still waiting. I can't wait for they come from beneath the sea to actually go to print. Yeah. And I think that's like, Right at the cusp, um, if I remember correctly. I, I would imagine it has to be. I mean, we already got the advanced PDF, so I, I would imagine it's getting close. You know, it struck me as I was, we had to meet my parents for breakfast this morning, and it struck me as I was driving home, and, and, and the topic of a conversation that we have, of course, with COVID-19 going on, and I thought, huh, it's an interesting time to be thinking about the contagion Kickstarter that was going on, what, not too long ago. <laughs> Yes, the the COVID contagion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I know, like, uh, of course, the Emerald City Comic Con got canceled and um, what, Matt McElroy was supposed to be there. Is that, I believe that was the case. So there was a lot yes. of... Uh, a lot of cancellations, which is a good thing. I mean, I know people are freaking out about it, but really it is a good thing because we've got to limit the spread of this thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I... I just saw yesterday um, Gary Khan had canceled and there was a lot of um, passionately negative sentiment about that decision. But um, I really think that uh, uh, the Gygax 
folk made the best call they possibly could have made. I think it's a terrible idea to have, uh, you know, a large gathering right now. Um, particularly yeah. because, uh, you know, Gary Khan tends to focus uh, a lot of attention on folks that are uh, from the old TSR days. And that means folks that are at very high risk due to their advanced age of, uh, you know, killing over dead. So I think it would be better uh, to skip a convention than to risk, say, being the person that killed Frank Menser because you shook his hand. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's, just, let's prevent that from happening. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm just throwing that out there for 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 the room to consider. Um, yeah, be safe, wash your hands, and keep in your house until this thing blows over. Mm -hmm. And play games. Play games. Play online games. There are so many. Um, Roll Twenty crashed because they had offered like so many. <laughs> they had offered a bunch of free stuff, and then people got you know they got overwhelmed. Uh, Astral Tabletop I think had the same issue. Everything's worked out on the tech side as far as I know now, but you can get on um, and get access to a bunch of pro level stuff right now on virtual tabletops because these companies are seeing the need and they're responding to it. You know. Yep. Yeah. So like every I think everything on Astral is free. Uh, for the next like thirty days, um, so definitely check out Astral Tabletop as a as a as another option. Even with your local group, you know, if you normally get together around a table, maybe don't do that this week. <laughs> you know, maybe this week hop on Astral Tabletop and play. You know, well, we we did try that for our Chicago by Night game last night. That was the intent, but uh, Cody wasn't able to make it because of prior obligations. And then uh, one of our other players had technology issues, and I thought, well, I'm not moving the game forward, missing two players. Sure, absolutely. So, but yeah, absolutely, I completely agree. If you have the ability, go ahead and try those virtual settings. So let's move over to Modifius. I, I mentioned last week that we're going to try to include them more in this stuff, and I noticed that they have a new game coming out, something I'd never heard of before, called Dishonored. Has anybody heard about this game? No. Okay, it looks like a very sci-fi-ish game. Um, just kind of oh, reading yeah, through the notes here. It says the game has been developed by using uh, a streamlined version of the company's proprietary 2D20 system, which was popularized by its award-winning Star Trek Adventures and Conan role-playing games. It is slated for release summer 2020. I don't know a whole lot about this game, but I will make sure to include a link in the show notes. So if you guys want to check that out, you can. It does. Like I said, it looks very sci-fi-ish, or maybe I'm just reading too much Altered Carbon right now that everything looks sci-fi-ish to me. It was a, I think originally an Xbox game. Uh, they did two series to it, and you, uh, yeah, it's kind of got the maybe steampunky kind of vibe from uh, everybody dresses kind of like the old French Revolution. Um, the world is kind of what it is, but you play a, an assassin in the game, and you can go through. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because that's off topic, but uh, it, it was a really great game from the standpoint of if you played super stealthy, nobody ever knew you were there. If you went uh, murder hobo hack and slash, as the game progressed, it's like there's a serial killer on the loose. So the guards amped up and the game got more and more difficult the more violent you were. So it, it was one of the few games I ever played that allowed you to, uh, the difficulty was based upon your cunning versus just a slider bar, which I thought was really cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is really cool. So that uh, is coming out summer 2020. So, and that's the only thing I saw new from Modifius. Of course, every company has great products coming out and they're worth checking out. I do want to backtrack just a tiny bit to, to Onyx Path because there was an update released to the Chicago Folios this week. Um, and it struck me as I was, you know, 
considering downloading, I didn't do it because I was actually about to walk out the door to go to work. I was considering downloading it. And as I was leaving, I thought, man, I really hope that there's a, a print on demand option for the Chicago folios. Cause I know there's been some issues. Um, Matt, Matthew Dawkins had mentioned that if it is a, um, release that has been approved by paradox there will not be a print on demand option travis correct me if i'm wrong there uh to the best of my knowledge but that's really not my department <laughs> fair enough I, i'm pretty sure that's what matthew said but and i asked i said so will the folios be released and he says because this was not a paradox product yes this will be released print on demand i'm very much looking forward to that one getting the pod option because that'll be nice to slide in next to chicago by night i think and i could be talking out of my tailpipe here but i think uh it's the modifius approved ones that are not so because chicago by night was definitely approved by paradox um but i think because modifius is now handling the v5 license that they don't want to do pod is what i might be understanding but i might also like i said i might be misspeaking there so actually you know what i think that's i was just I was just checking, uh, scrolling through my Twitter feed here, and that's exactly correct. Matthew did say it is the modifius approved books that will not be allowed to do in print on demand. So thank you for correcting me there. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, so that will be available. And then back to modifius, my copy of The Fall of London arrived yesterday. And I was really excited to get that. Now, I... I I got to backtrack a little bit and talk about, and I've talked to Cody and, and Nolan a little bit about this. When they did the pre-orders for Chicago by Night, I was reading through the PDF because I was super excited, sorry, not Chicago by Night. When they did the pre-orders for the Fall of London, I was super excited because it's a new V5 adventure in this case, and I, I really wanted to read through it. And I got to the point, and I spent almost 15 years in the newspaper industry, several of those years as an editor. And it bothered me tremendously to see so many mistakes in this book. Now, I understand when you work with words, mistakes happen. I also want to point out that I would listen to a show. Um, I forget which show you were on, Travis, where you said a good editor is one of the most important things that you can have as a, as a writer, as someone who puts out these products. And it just struck me that this this PDF was so full of mistakes. Well, it overtook me and I began to take notes on all the mistakes I found. And I have like five or six pages of notes and, and maybe it was a hubris. I don't know, but I sent those corrections to Modifius and that's probably an asshole thing to do. And I told them, listen, I'm not trying to be a prick. I love this game. I love the product that you guys are putting out. And I would hate to see a product that is this riddled with the mistakes be released to the public. Well, I and, my, oh, go ahead. I got my copy. And there's still mistakes. That's that's rough. Sorry to hear that. Um, I know there's. I don't know what Modifius's uh, yes. practice is with regards to regards to dealing with errata. I don't know how that goes. Um, I I know that that's why with Onyx Path we when we do our advanced copies, uh, we have an errata phase. You know, and things will still slip through. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I mean, again, I spent I spent 15 years in the newspapers. I get it. Sometimes things you get it gets missed when you work with that many words. Sometimes it gets missed. Right, but you know, we we try our best 
to give an opportunity to uh, those people who get advanced copies um, to report any errata that they have and to make sure that we're going in and, and correcting those before we release the final, you know, before the, before ink hits a page. Um, that's our general uh, our general policy for Onyx Path. I have no idea how Modifius handles their stuff. Different company, never worked yep. with them, seem like nice people. <laughs> yeah, and, and at the end of the day, it's not like I'm going to be like, well, never buying from Modifius again. Although, you know, part of me was like, well, maybe I should not take this product and get my money back. But... Like that's going to happen as a vampire book, and Patrick has to have it. I mean, so. that's fair. I understand the compulsion, but uh, I'm sorry to hear that you've had that experience. Uh, um, it's okay. I was just really hoping to see that, you know, those mistakes had gotten corrected. Now, I, I checked six mistakes, and I think three of them, so about 50% were not corrected, and I was just like, well, I'm done. I'm not going to ruin this getting this book today because I'm – ridiculous about looking this over i'm just going to stop and be happy that i have the book well there you go and sometimes you know sometimes you just have to take the joy where you can find the joy um and understand we live in an imperfect world yep that is correct and that is speaking of imperfect worlds we should talk about the scarred lands <laughs> it is definitely an imperfect world <laughs> All right, so we have come to our topic of the night, and the reason we asked Travis to join us because we want, as you all know, this month is our month of Scarred Lands. We are marching into Scarred Lands, and today we are going to be talking about the two new releases, official releases for Scarred Lands, Yugman's Guide to Gelspad and Visual Watch the Toe Island. So we brought Travis on to talk about these products and hopefully tell us a little bit about the next couple installments for these things, if he's allowed to. So Travis... Tell us, let's start with Yugman's Guide to Gelspad and the first installment. Yes. So the first installment of Yugman's Guide to Gelspad covers, oh boy, I better look at it because I, uh, they all turn into one book in my head because they are kind of all one book. So I'm going to bring this up on my computer uh, like somebody who had prepared for what they were doing today. <laughs> Well, while you're doing uh, that, why don't everybody take a minute, go get coffee, refresh. It is early in the morning. Let's let's get ourselves refreshed, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that. So let's go ahead and jump into Yugman's Guide to Gelspad. And Travis, you were going to tell us all about that and what the first installment is about. Yes. So um, speaking broadly, uh, the way we're presenting Yugman's Guide to Gelspad is it is a completed it is a complete book. So what you're getting right now in the in the bi-monthly releases are uh, basically notes. These are excerpts from the various sections of the final text. And so uh, each each release, I'm trying to group things together in a way that kind of follows a theme, uh, but it's really as if you're sort of getting these individual communiques that are going back and forth between Yugman and his various correspondents. And with those in-character communiques, you're getting a lot of setting and system information broken in as well. So in the first installment, we've got three races, the uh, Broadreach Dwarf or Wood Dwarf, uh, the Half-Elf, and the Revised Hollow Legionnaire. You've got, uh, let's see five subclasses, and then uh, to make sure that those subclasses function, there's a selection of spells that are introduced 
along with those subclasses. So anytime we introduce something uh, like a new race or a new subclass, new background, anything like that, that would have additional mechanical needs to it, I'm going to make sure those go in to the package as well for that section of notes release. With with the new subclasses, Travis, how much of this was thrown on the playtest section before it actually became part of Yugman's, or was it? Uh, this release, the Gorgard Fighter and the Howl Legionnaire were the only ones, I think, that made their way to the playtest. Because I wanted to really make sure that we got those two right. And this was... That, that The turnaround, that playtest closed a week before this product came out, if I, if I remember correctly. So the turnaround on the playtest was very fast. Um, but we did get some very vital information from them. I cannot stress enough, please, if you have not done so. There's still like three or four of them open, and there's a couple more in the mail. So um, please go and check those out at theonyxpath.com. Uh, go into open development and look at those playtests and give us feedback because it does help immensely. And I'm trying to make sure we're getting uh, the stuff that's the trickiest <clears throat> up there. You know, um, there were some things like the broad reach dwarf. We had a very clear vision on there was um, that I would say is particularly um, challenging from a design perspective. Uh, so. I didn't feel it needed to go up for the playtest. But with the Hollow Legionnaire, they're my favorite race probably in all of 5th edition. And so I wanted to, especially conceptually, definitely my favorite race. So I wanted to make sure that they were getting their just desserts when I updated them. Um, there were a couple things in the initial design. And this is just, I think, the perspective of having you know five years of 5th edition as opposed to when the core book came out and there was like the OGL had been out for like a month, <laughs> you know, um, you know, like, uh, so I wanted to, I wanted to uh, look at, look at that again and look at the way that the spires function and bring that to the table system wise. And that was the purpose of doing the revision of the Howl Legionnaire. And I do want to take a minute and talk about the half elves because I think it's something that people might be tempted to sort of their eyes glaze over when they see Half-Elf. Uh, like, oh, I know what this is. Uh, you don't know what this is. <laughs> we have... See, I, I really enjoyed reading it, and I, I don't think or I don't know why it never dawned on me of like elves. They are not, you know, they're, they're very much different than humans. So just assuming that that was a natural pairing, that they were like us, like, you know, if they're, if they're willing to slum it to get with a human, they'll, they'll slum it to get with anything, you know, kind of in that thing. And I was like, holy smokes, I'm going to have a a half elf halfling elf oh my god you know like it just blew my mind for half a day yeah it's it's it i really um dug the idea when it struck and as we were talking about like ways to introduce these and i liked it uh for a number of reasons one is the cool system things you can do you can very much customize your character uh by any sort of mammalian pairing uh unfortunately there will be no half elf uh, half Asath, uh, because Asathi aren't mammals. Anything that's a mammal, basically, an elf can, you know, a mammalian humanoid, an elf can have a baby with. And so you, you get into these really cool sort of system options, but also from a lore perspective, uh, there's a lot of places in Scarred Lands where it talks about, like, people not even being aware that half elves 
And part of the reason for that is the idea that you can be a half-elf and pass as one of your parent races. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, you might be a half-elf, half-manticora, and you just look like a manticora. No, why would anybody question that? You know, they don't have necessarily know that you're a manticora who also, you know, can gets a, a hiding bonus in natural weather phenomena and doesn't need to sleep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think the picture that you guys used was really, it's really subtle. Like when you first look at it, you're like, ah, okay. Like you said, you see the, you see the face, you see the ears and you just glaze over it. And then you deep dive as you're scrolling down, like what is happening with homeboy's feet here? Like what? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, it's a, it it was to me that that kind of stuff is very cool. Examining those little corners of the world and the idea that, uh, you are kind of playing a, you know, you have a unique character. You have something that nobody else is quite like you. And that, I think, offers some good role-play opp- opportunities as well. Because is it an issue of I'm super happy and, and proud that I'm, you know, I, I'm this individual? Or is it like, you know, that isolating loneliness of being the only one of your kind, quote-unquote? Sorry, I had a cat issue. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um so yeah, there, 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 there was a lot of fun working on the half elves, and um, I'm excited to share some more of the stuff we did with races. These are not the only three that will be in uh, Yagmin's for sure. You'll see uh, a couple more in the next release. Do you have any idea when the next release is coming out? Yeah, so um, they're all, they're coming out in alternate bi-monthly releases. Last week of the month, so. Uh, last month we did Vigil Watch Chapter One, so the next release will be this month. At the end of this month will be Yugman's uh, Notes Part Two. And I, the Hollow Legionnaires always struck me as an interesting um, race. And you said this is a revised version of them. What was what was the changes from the original Player's Handbook to this? Well, for one thing, uh, I wanted to include the Spires sub races. Um, the Hollow Legionnaires are for those who might not be aware of them, are the spirits of fallen heroes who've been, uh, through the magic of the Hollow Knights, have been pulled into these uh, five spires that are set up around the Gleaming Valley. And the type of person that you were uh, sort of attracts you to a certain spire. And then once your soul goes into the spire, it's bound into a suit of armor, and you become a Hollow Legionnaire. So um, in the original mechanic, there was just one race, no sub-races. And if you wanted the specific bonuses of being part of a spire, it was, it was treated as a feat. And I just felt that that was maybe a, a missed opportunity with the design. So I went ahead and built the spires as sub-races. And that also allowed me to sort of break out some of the, I guess, benefits and or uh, immunities of the Hollow Legionnaires. You know, in the core book, all Hollow Legionnaires had advantages on death saves, for example. And I felt that, that that seemed a little bit like it might be a little much, even in the Scarred Lands. So I, I tied that to a specific spire that was you know, the Adamantine spire, the ones that were particularly hardy. You know, things along those lines. So just sort of breaking out the abilities so that it was a more, brought them a little bit more in line with seeing the rest of the races and sort of the, the basic race conceit in Scarred Lands is 
you know, they're a little bit hardier than what you'll see in a standard PHB race. But, uh, you know, I wanted to just kind of even those out at a, at a power level, though balance is not my number one concern. And I wanted to make sure that narratively it really, really hit. And I think that now with the revised Hall Legionnaire, it really hits the narrative. So this release of Yagwins includes some new classes for Cleric, Druid, Fighter, and Warlock. What was your favorite one to work on and why? Oh boy, that's a hard question. I really did enjoy the Gorgard. I just like the the idea. And I'm I love all of the Titan spawn that ultimately roll back to Garak. I just think he's a cool Titan. You know, this Titan of Gluttony. And the Gorgard sort of owes itself to, to Gorak to a degree because there there's you achieve this subclass through infusions of of food and other items that are tainted with Gorok's blood. So you start getting these extra powers. I like the idea of, you know, that, that while this subclass has sort of grown out, its origins come from gladiators that are used in the Fangsfall Peninsula. And so they take these gladiators and to make it more entertaining, they give them titanic corruption and tell them to go fight each other that seems very scarred lands to me you know what i mean it's very scarred <laughs> and there were some uh items we were working on with it that were uh and, and this is part of the benefit of play testing you know um they have a feature called showboating and that took us forever to get it right uh because what i wanted to accomplish was to show that uh, because of their time in the gladiatorial arena, they've they've gotten very good at just using like weapons of opportunity, you know, and just tweaking that out through playtest feedback to really make it sing, to give you an actual benefit to, you know, why would I hit somebody with a chair when I could hit them with a sword? Well, here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, without it breaking the system and making it, you know, um, just not make sense. So that was a that was a a hard target to hit, but I think between the playtest feedback and just some of my own play and and some of the discussions that we had about the lore, it's one of the places where the playtest has been very cool is to see uh, people who are longtime fans of Scarlands get in there with some lore suggestions, which is I always love. Like you know, this is how I would tie this together at my table because this this and this, and the lore in Scarlands is pretty deep. So if you you certainly can play it without doing a, a massive deep dive into lore. But if you do that deep dive, there's a lot of cool little hooks you can find. Um, so I'm, I'm really pleased with how that turned out. I also am very happy with the Circle of Blood drone. I, I really had a lot of fun with that. You mentioned that the lore in Scarlands is really deep. And one of the things that we really like about Scarlands is that although it does have this deep, rich lore, you don't feel like, whereas in the Forgotten Realms, and Nolan talks about this quite a bit, you don't feel like um, you are insignificant. You feel like you actually can do something with, you know, the world is so fresh from this Titan or from this divine war that. It has been remade. You you feel like you can make a difference, whereas in Forgotten Realms, hey, look, Dred Stewart just showed up. You might as well put your sword away because you're not going to do shit here. Right. And that's something that I very much want to emphasize with these new releases that we're doing is taking this sort of tit the Titans War and the 
the major plot elements of the world and really putting them as a backdrop for for your you know first level character for your fifth level character as opposed to you know there's all this massive uh divine major stuff happening and you're an audience member building it in such a way where you are on the front lines you are in the uh, very apex of what's happening you are the you are the motivation for what's happening you're the star of the show and so everything that we're doing design is and uh with some with the narratively is really aimed toward that and that's like from a meta level perspective that's kind of what yugman's is about is you know yugman is this massive like elminster level npc right but he's just saying you know they're in the introduction to the book um that has not been i don't think it is part of this uh there's a there's a big introduction that will go in the main book where he talks about you know the the true threats and true potential of gelspad isn't gods or titans it's the people and you know what you're going to find in this book are the people that will help usher in a good future and the people who will stand in the way of that you did a lot of work on adding new classes and we were all really excited to see that but one of us was a little uh disappointed nolan (laughs) you beat me i was gonna say for Nolan, um, I wasn't he would like negative. to know when Rangers are coming. Soon. It's always soon. You'll have them soon. Um, I, I mean, just... he might show up at your house with a pitchfork, Travis. I'm just. Saying. <laughs> I I will I'm, say that I, I like that. Like with like a lot of the fighters that I've noticed, uh, you know, even with the original one with the the Knights of the Oak, it seems like uh, magic is maybe uh, more common. And so I get a lot of these little ranger feels with these here. And, and then with the uh, with the archer, you know, the, the blessings of the gods and stuff like that, incrementing little magics into non-magical classes has been really interesting. And, and I'm excited to see what it is. I think after reading this, uh, the, the archer one, uh, it also makes me curious to see what potential is there for rogue. Like if, you know, all of a sudden a, a trickster god starts kind of blessing your actions, I think that's going to be a real scary, fun combination, maybe somewhere down the line. But and I think you'll I think you'll see um, I can tell you this much uh, in the next installment you'll you'll see some rogue development and um, one of the I'll, I'll I'll give you a little bit of insight into rangers um, one of the reasons why the rangers um, still. Ranger hasn't seen the light of day yet. Is the, the a lot of the work that we're doing is to make sure that we are giving them their due um, in light of what you just said, right? Because you have a lot of archer fighters that have these little magical flares to them, right? So the last thing I want to do is give you a ranger that is just another one of those. Um, so That's I think awesome. I think you'll find. Um, that uh, what we've done with the ranger is uh, definitely a departure and definitely steers more into, um, you know, I, I really want to steer into companions and I really want to steer into that um, connection to nature. 
And uh, from a lore perspective, I'll give you a little teaser, I guess, in the sense that uh, you see druids as being connected to titans. Uh, there's that's how druidic magic works in Scarredlands, and so because rangers are drawing from druidic spells, you, we have to look at how does that plug in too, right? Um, yeah. Which is exciting and interesting. And I'll oh, go ahead. I was just say I really enjoyed in the past editions, uh, basically the the rangers. I mean. I, I can imagine being very difficult, especially in this, because the world seems like it's built for, I guess, in my mindset, a ranger, the the survivalist, the the people taking people through the woods. And in the old school lore, uh, they've talked a lot about basically the druids say, oh, so you are the protector of me. Listen, I'm busy with nature. You guide the people. And they, they came across more paladin-ish, I guess, for this world before the, the gods got too much involved. Right. That I think that that's a fair assessment. And... I will say um, the nature of what I'm trying to think of an elegant way to get into this, but I'm just going to come right out and say it. One of the things that uh, you should see probably in the last play test that we were, um, and this has been for me, one of the biggest design challenges is to get this right is we're reintroducing the horn, the uh, horn saw sentinel as a ranger. And so how do I balance um, having a ranger who has a horn saw horn right. at an early level? <laughs> we have a barbarian who has a horn saw. <laughs> yeah, and they're and and they're pretty beefy creatures. So I don't uh, let her use it to fight. <laughs> <laughs> right. See, the Hornsaw Sentinel will be using. But, you know, again, oh, it's, God. <laughs> it, it's a matter of, uh, so what do we do? How do, how do we nerf that? Uh, make it still make sense in the, in the lore. Um, still give it to it's you a, at, a, at an early level. You know, it's a tough thing too, because at that point you you still want your, your your characters to be a hero, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to go hide in the bush and let the horn saw take care of the thing. Well, which character are you really playing at this point? Exactly. So I'm working on like a juvenile horn saw sort of situation um, for that, and I think that's going to be uh, really cool. I'm going to try to get that squeezed into the last play test, so you should have awesome. some some eyes on it uh, relatively soon. And, and there are a couple, see... of, couple other rangers too that we're working on, but you will you will see them. I, I promise. We've got a total of five ranger subclasses that are coming through this. If you don't know what a horn saw is, imagine a really furry, hairy unicorn, and its horn is serrated and evil as fuck. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> that, yep that's, exactly. That's a horn saw. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, often one of the things I'll point to just to give you, to like explain the setting, is take a look at our unicorns. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, obviously, Yegwin's Guide, you said it'll come out, the next installment will come out the last week of March. Looking forward to that. But we did just have the first installment of Visual Watch, the Toe Islands, come out. Why don't you tell us about that product? Sure. <clears throat> so, where Yegwin's is a... Um, sort of look around Galspad through the eyes of uh, playable, you know, player-facing content. Um, Vigil Watch, 
uh, focuses on specific regions that are mentioned, but not really developed in the uh, fifth edition player's guide. So we start off with the Toe Islands, which is an archipelago in the Dead Sea, or Dead Sea, the Blood Sea. Um, and it's these five islands that are right off the uh, eastern coast of Gelsbad. And they're just rife with pirates. And there are uh, indigenous folk who live there. There's one island that goes to because the indigenous folk just kill everything that gets near it. Um, there's uh, the um, a group of, of uh, sky pirates in one of the islands. And we sort of just touch on each of these islands, give you a little bit of uh, atmosphere, a couple of specific rules to things that you'll find there, a uh, little bit of extra lore about who you will find in these places. And then we are tying in some adventure content uh, to each of these. Um, so in this particular one, there's actually a full adventure uh, called the Heart or... Um, What's it called? It's the Tears of the Weeping Maiden. Tears of the Weeping Maiden. That's right. Yes. And that adventure, uh, well, this whole chapter was written by Celeste Conowich, who also wrote the um, Blood Sea 5e book. So it, she's got a very, very strong knowledge of that region. Uh, it follows along with the theme and the feel. It's a, it's a nice plug-in. And so... Um, you'll also see in the next installment of Yugman's a little bit more Blood Sea content. So, which which we've play tested some of that. If you've been watching the play tests, have a pretty good idea what of what's coming for that. And then, so as as this rolls forward, we will be moving westward, looking into all sorts of new locations. In all these books, or all these installments, at the end of the full run, will be available as one book through Drive Through RPG. Correct. That is correct. Yes, and there is. Uh, content for each one that is being that will be exclusive to that to that collection. So you'll get a little bit of extra adventure content, some extra uh, monsters, things along those lines that'll come with Vigil Watch. And with Yugmans, there will be uh, some classes and 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 uh, probably spells, magic items that will be exclusive to the collection. Very cool. And of course, with the creature collection, that is what the official PDF was just released, and that should be printed soon. Um, there's going to be just a ton of Scarland stuff coming out. Yeah, we are trying to keep it uh, trying to keep it going, trying to keep it out there in front of folks and give everybody all the tools they need to be able to, uh, you know, have a have a solid and fun adventure. And then uh, we've got uh, you know, rust in the works, which all I can tell you is that it's there and it's in the works. And uh, that's going to be a huge, huge, huge release. Though. Which one was that? Rust. Rust. Okay. It's been announced that it's existing, that it exists on the Monday meeting notes. Um, that's about. I missed that it. one. Yeah, it's it's still a working title. In fact, we may have an official title released by the time this goes live. Um, oh, is this, yeah, is this a Scarlands book? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we've made we like I said we've dropped the working title publicly, but that's about it. <clears throat> um, I don't mind telling you that it's huge. <laughs> it's the most uh, ambitious project I've probably ever taken on. 
So, so um, is this going to be a Kickstarter then? I would. I don't know. I would assume so. My guess would be based on its word count. But those decisions are made above my pay grade. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I've got an amazing on it. Um, it's probably you'll probably start seeing more information about it if I had to guess before the end of the year. But it's going to be it's eating up a lot of my, you know, because the most of the work aside from applying the feedback from playtesting errata, uh, things like that. Most of the work for Vigil Watch and, and uh, Yugman's is done for me. So I'm now working on... I, I, do, I am doing the layout on them, um, but uh, you know, I'm kind of working on the next big thing. And that's the next big thing. It's a ways off, but, uh, but I'm excited about it. Um, well, good. Uh, and I'm deep in it. And and of course, Legend Lore, which you were a part of, and Scarlands. Are there any other games that you're working on that you can tell us about, Travis? Uh, I think so. Um, I'm well. I did some writing on uh, Adventure, which uh, has been announced, which was super cool. I love the Trinity Continuum. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. It's I love the system. I've loved that setting since first edition. Um, it's been a riot to work on, and I'm working on some stuff for uh, the Aeon as well, the Aeon timeline. Um, what else am I working on? I'm drawing a total blank. Oh, Pirates Pugmire, uh, I worked on last year, and now it's getting ready. I think I saw in the Monday meeting notes it's like in, in errata at this point. Like Eddie's entering in his final edits, his proofing, maybe that's what it was. And then, um, personally, for my company, um, Aegis Studios, we've been doing a bunch of work with Odysseys and Overlords, which is my OSR um, using basic fantasy uh, RPG rules uh, campaign world. And I've been working with, yeah, I've been working with, uh, I don't know, 20. 20 or 25 different authors on that. Um, I built a world and it started off with a very, very simple premise and a very not a very loosely defined world. And I put out a call to authors, like, let's build this world. Let's take these, you know, I've got a kingdom name and a paragraph about what this kingdom is like. So let's take this and build gazetteers and build adventures. And it's been really cool to see this sort of uh, world come together. Um, and just see people coming at it with different perspectives and, and, and building this rich environment out of really a skeleton that I threw together. And people seem to be responding to it pretty well. So the, the uh, Player's Guide, uh, Game Master's Guide, and a collection of adventures just went into print, actually, on drive-thru. So you get those printed on demand. And... How would people find those on drive through Travis? Would they just search you? What would be a good search parameter for that? Well, if you look for me, you'll find them for sure. Um, otherwise, you can go to uh, Aegis Studios, A-E-G-I-S, like, uh, like the Shield um, Studios. It's right there, or just look for Odysseys and Overlords. It'll show up. 
Nolan, do you have any more questions for Travis? Um, I have tons, but I know we're running on time, so maybe we can see. Oh no, 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 no! Go ahead, yeah. ask okay. away. Ask away. I want to. I want to. I'm here to answer your question. I think a lot of it maybe just is design, but uh, reading a lot of the classes uh, you get for Scarlands, you get a lot of ideas that it's it is a darker world. Um, you know, especially this last one with you know lots of blood and you know using that kind of stuff for it. How do the other people react to that sort of thing? You know, like I imagine a necromancer showing up in Waterdeep probably draws eyes. Is this a comedy occurrence? Like, am I overly sensitive to the idea of like, wow, that might be too evil to play, or maybe that it's just the wild west and nobody cares anymore. Uh, what are your thoughts when you make those, like as far as good evil or magic is magic? So the, <clears throat> I, I certainly do not um, hold to the idea that like one of my favorite uh, design updates for fifth edition was the elimination of alignment, having anything to do with your class. Uh -huh. I, I do think that there are, Certainly, um, um, there are certainly uh, good and evil necromancers. And in the setting itself, like you have the city of Holofaust, which is considered to basically be a civilized place full of nice people. But they use necromancy for all of their public works. So sanitation is handled by zombies. Their city guard is all undead. It's common. It's not really frowned on. Depending on where you're from, you might find that very strange. But it's not like, oh my, they're evil. There are evil necromancers for sure. There's the, um, you know, the the necromancers of Glivadotel, for example, are um, absolutely monstrous. But that's the thing too is when you start to broaden those grays, you get to make the shadows deeper. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I've aimed to do with Scarredlands and will continue to aim to do. You know, you yeah. look at even, you know, a Gorgard. You can play a Gorgard, but you are Titan corrupted. Like, you have that in you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's an element of your character. It doesn't need to be the defining element, you know. And, and I think there's a lot of... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, like, I think... Is that something that people would hide going into town, or would it be city by city thing? Like, do they screen for you know, hey, you're part Titan spawn, or it's it's just like this is the life we live? How would NPCs handle well, that? I mean, I think it would definitely be a city by city thing. I think it would definitely be, um, you know, based on the culture that you're going into. Uh, you go into a place like, you know, in in a lot of Gelsbad. The lines between Titan Spawn and uh, Divine have been blurred. The Divine Truce had a lot to do with that. The surrendering of the Redeemed had a lot to do with that. But, you know, you also have situations like uh, the Ironbred who routinely have to convince people that they're not Sutek. <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, the Calastian Hegemony where nobody, like, if you're not human, you're basically up shit creek. You know, um, so it's it's very, you know, it's very place by place. It's very difficult to uh, make a broad generalization about the way people are going to react in the Skylands because each of these places has its own sort of uh, ecosystem. And that's one of the things we get to delve into a little bit in the Vigil Watch too, because we get to touch on a couple of areas that aren't. Uh, developed yet. You know, we have to talk a lot about uh, 
Leone, the capital of the Manticora Confederacy, and talking about how the Manticora, while they were never on the side of the Titans, most divine races are afraid of them because they were Vangel's hunting buddies, <laughs> you know? And yeah, so yeah. How, what are they doing to shed that image? And what are their feelings on, on Vangel uh, as far as standard Manticora society is concerned? And then, of course, because it's a role-playing game, you get to pick to be an outlier. So you might be a, you know, while you might play a Manticora who still worships Vangel, uh, that's not in vogue in Manticora society right now. You know, there's very much a rejection of that and an embracing of Tennille. Um, So getting into things like that, uh, again, it starts to become as, as deep as you want to go with it. Uh, what story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell that story where um, the characters roll into the village and one of them's a guard, and maybe because of the way they're dressed, um, somebody recognizes that and says, oh, boy, we got a problem. Uh, or, you know, it's just as likely that they've never seen a Gorgard before if you're, you know, at all east of the Fangsfall Peninsula. They might not even know what, you're, what you are. You know, so it's, it's very, um, you know, that's, that's another aspect of the setting that's interesting to me is how do you really parse this, like how much information really travels in a, in a fantasy world post-apocalyptic that doesn't have any sort of like, you know, functional teleportation network like news gets around Faerun pretty easily right <laughs> because there's a bunch of wizards that all get together and talk um that might not be the case in Scar. you know uh you might really be the only uh example of a class or a race that has shown up in this village since before the divine war gotcha no, it's it's a, it's a neat insight and again like you said the lore of it is as deep as you want to go and that's that's very cool yeah, thank you. Um, I, I feel guess my, blessed by having it. <laughs> but, uh, I, I was going to ask, uh, when it comes to maybe warlocks, I know a lot of first uh, introduction with it is is you gave up a part of something to work in cahoots with something uh, usually more evil, demonic, more powerful. Um, here it's, how is that, it seems very close to, well, you could just pass as a cleric because some of these are... I don't know, maybe the minor deities are like what we have with the Pact of the Serpent and that kind of stuff. Is it a warlock not that big of a deal in this one here, depending on, same thing? I mean, if you're a cleric or worshiping an evil god and a warlock with this here, it's kind of the same vein, but I don't know. I guess yeah. maybe warlock has a negative connotation to it as far as, oh, you, you sold your soul to the devil. And here it's like, well, they're everywhere. You're basically a cleric at this point. Right, well, I mean, it, it is about the um, the difference between a cleric and a warlock in Scarredlands is the nature of your relationship with that entity, really. Um, a cleric is offering worship and is receiving um, a series of gifts with the understanding that, you know, that, that's, that they will do the work of that entity and they will spread that entity's worship. Um, a warlock has a very specific bargain that they got a very specific set of tools for. And then the relationship after that is not necessarily friendly. You know, it's not necessarily antagonist, but it's certainly not friendly. You know, it's not, you're not offering them worship and you're not out necessarily proselytizing for them. Uh, you're doing what you want to do, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of those things of, uh, 
it, it gives another idea of doing it like the bargain's done here you go uh, versus this is an ongoing relationship where i'm getting uh, well and i guess i've played my clerk as as he's gained more power he's got a better relationship with that god or whatever so right generally speaking i would say that would probably be the case you know and and also you'll you'll be more apt to um the to my mind in scarred lands the otherworldly entities while they're not we're we're largely doing away with the idea of kind of showing up and walking around um that was there in previous editions but uh they still have the things they want and and they still have their agents and that would be like your clerics things along those lines gotcha yeah walking around was so 150 years ago right and so the difference in how that entity seeks what it's looking for from you 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 know the the difference in which they approach it would be very different between a, a cleric and a warlock but um to an outside observer might not be different at all particularly like a a commoner or a lay person who's not really into that level of the religion right because kind of the default assumption in scarred lands is that everybody's the the average person on the street is polytheist right you pray to Tanil if you're going to go hunting you pray to uh chardun if you need to defend the town you pray to madriel if you're sick then so it's really clerics who get into the deeper implications of that theologically but to a commoner who prays to whoever they need at that moment what difference is what what difference would they see between a warlock and a cleric yeah very cool i guess i yeah it makes sense i guess i never put that together too i've just they're there they're there for each reason so ask them for help when right and to that end they probably wouldn't see much difference between a cleric and a druid because druids in scarred lands are worshiping they're just worshiping a titan Cool. You know, so so to, so in terms of like, what does the average person on the street think of of this thing? You know, it's all it's all about worship. As you and obviously the scholars and the the adventuring class and your player characters know more. You know, they 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 start to get into the esoterica of it more. But I don't think the average person on the street would worry about it too much. They'd probably just go, "Oh, that person can throw God energy at me. I better." <laughs> Travis, with with the Scarlands being so dependent on Titans and gods and and the, the divine war and and just their interactions with the people, has there ever been any consideration to creating something along the lines of like they did in AD and D second edition with uh, deities and demigods? Has there ever been consideration for a book like that? Well, in third edition, there was one called Divine Defeated. I don't know that we'll ever get there in fifth edition. Maybe one day. There's a lot of ground to cover between here and there. And that goes a little bit outside of the present idea of keeping that scope very focused on play for levels one to 10. Having said that, once everything is, once I've got the ground covered that I want to cover in this early phase, sorry, my cat's really freaking out. 
Um, once I uh, get the ground cover, I want to get covered in this early phase. Who knows? Maybe. Um, I would like to see, you know, I'll keep making books as long as people keep buying them. So I would love to delve into that. One of the things that we're doing, uh, you see it a little bit first in um, Blood C5E, and it's now, we're now peppering it in, in uh, I think it's in Yugman's. Yeah, it's in Yugman's part one, is these little sidebars where we're giving sort of brief breakdowns of the demigods. Um, because from a lore perspective, to my mind, while the eight victors, the main gods, are now off in the celestial realms doing celestial things for the most part, uh, the demigods are still plenty active. Um, so touching on those, I think, is gonna would be, my guess would be that would be the first thing you'd see. Okay. Something where we get a little bit more into those folk. I just, I know that it is such a rich pantheon that I thought it'd be interesting to have a book where somebody could sit down and just flip through it and say, oh, okay, this is Chardun, this is Denev, this is Madriel, and, and so on and so forth. I thought it just really, I think it would help new players. For sure. Uh, and like I said, that lore is, um, there's some of that lore that we are tweaking a little bit in fifth edition, but not a, not a whole lot. We're not, it's more just clarifications and re than we are changing things a whole lot, you know? Gotcha. But, you know, and some of that was written, you know, with the sensibilities of folk in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, so some of the material, you know, and we're drawing from Greek mythology. And Scarred Lands is not, it's not always an easy setting. There's some, there's some material in there that's, uh, that, that might be upsetting to some players, you know, in, in the mythology. Um, you know, particularly looking at like Tennille's backstory. Some of that stuff is upsetting. Um, Gotcha. I would, I would say, I would say, trigger warning ish, uh, you know, and we, and we, talk, and we address that a little uh, as well coming up in the Yugmans. Um, you know, we just finished the playtest for, uh, on a slightly lighter note, I guess we just finished the playtest for the uh, Oath of the Thorn Purifier, which has a lot of, I guess, potentially abusive, but also like you know, S and M connotations that one could draw from. Right. Um, and so trying to tackle that material in a way that's uh, fun and cool, but also respectful to people that might maybe dig it. Uh, even in the first installment of Yugman's, you know, with the Circle of the Blood Druid, we talk a little, there's like a little sidebar in there about, you know, um, if you want to include this subclass, but you don't want to include the self harm aspect of this subclass. You know, here are some other options that you can use. Because I I, I want people to have fun at the table, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and and to my mind, Scarred Lands is a setting that's spray painted on the side of a van. You know, it's it's very <laughs> like while you're listening to like you know Black Sabbath, it is it is a metal setting. Um, but and sometimes that can be a little bit abrasive to some folk. But I want to make sure that everybody has the tools. So if they want to dial that down a little bit. If they're like, you know, we we just kind of want to listen to Winger instead. All right, cool. Here's how here's how you do that. Wait, people actually listen to Winger? <laughs> I'm sure someone does. 
Isn't that <laughs> <up there> with <laughs> Creed? <laughs> hey, if you want to listen to Creed while you're playing Skylands, you're welcome to it. I, I want to make sure you have the tools to do so. <laughs> okay, Nolan, do you have any other questions for Travis? I don't. I, I appreciate the time and, and chatting with us. It's always fun. Yeah, I had, a, I had a riot. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So we have reached a point of the show where we like to let people know how they can contact us. So Nolan, we'll start with you. And then Travis, we'll have you let us know how you can contact, uh, how people can contact you as well as I did put a link in the show notes to your author's page on drive through RPG. So people can find all the stuff that you've worked on. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. So Nolan, how can people find you? Yep. Um, simple. I'm only on Twitter at in Lemire's and Travis. I am at Travis Leg L E G G E, pretty much everywhere on the internet. If you, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, anywhere you want to look. You can find me on Twitch when I'm not at the Onyx Path Twitch. Um, I'm at the Plastic Age Plays Twitch, and then in at Drive Through RPG or DMs Guild or Storytellers <laughs> Vault. If you search my name, I'll come up. And you also have a Patreon page, correct? I do patreon.com forward slash Travis leg. And we give out, uh, I give out a Patreon exclusive role-playing game supplement of some sort every month to people who support at a dollar or more. And then there's a bunch of other cool stuff you can get to. Well, cool. And Travis, thank you so much for joining us. It always is a pleasure to have you. And I'm, I'd imagine once something pops up that I see your name on, I'll be reaching out to you again saying, Hey, come talk to us again. Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week. Bye.